Savannah. And I'm Alicia. Welcome to Burden of Proof. Welcome. Hi. How are you? I'm wonderful. It's hot. It's hot as blazes in here. Hot as blazes. (laughs) She she wants to say it, but she won't. It's hot as balls. (laughs) It's hot as balls. So I have several disclaimers to make about my case today. All right. Number one, I went and saw Five Seconds of Summer in Atlanta two days ago. So ignore my raspy voice. You don't sound bad. You sound fine. I feel really phlegmy, though, just because it's like... I feel like that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) You're good. Yeah. Um, I'll be having to take frequent water breaks because my throat feels like it's dying. But we're here. We're having fun. Okay. Um, Secondly, this case is all over the place. It's become a bit of a myth on the internet. So Uh, it is so difficult to figure out what is real and what is a farce. So... Mm -hmm. There's going to be several times where I'm like, I don't really know, but here are the two options and here's what I think. Here's what people are saying. Yeah. So that's where we are. Today we're doing The Boy in the Walls. The Boy in the Walls. The Boy in the Walls. I bet he was hot as balls. (laughs) (laughs) I have so many thoughts, but we're going to get into it. So we're going to start in um, late-ish 1986. Um, Annie Andrews and her sister Jessica Andrews receive an anonymous phone call by a boy who says that he goes to school with her. He says that his name is Daniel LaPlante. Um, he describes himself as a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, hunky jock of a boy hunky. who <laughs> plays football at their school. And he talks to both sisters for a while. And I think I want to make this very clear because I know that a lot of sources just talk about Annie being a victim. No, no, right. no. He tormented both of these sisters. Oh. Both of them. Fun. Both of them. So just because of what ha- – you'll see what I'm talking about. Spoiler alert. Daniel LaPlante is not a very kind person. Oh, no. No, not the hunky football player. Not the hunky football player. So anyway, they talked for a while, and he and Annie started to really hit it off. She was about 15 or 16. Sources vary, of course. Um, but I think she was closer to 16, and they agreed to go out on a date. Um, however, when she met Daniel for the first time, she was very blindsided by what she saw. Instead of being greeted by I guess he is not a blonde, hunky football player. <laughs> he is not. He's quite literally the opposite <laughs> of a blonde, hunky football player. She was met by a greasy, greasy-haired me, sir. brunette <laughs> with dark eyes who just did not take care of himself. His personal hygiene was bad. So, you know, you're 16 years old. What would you do if you had been catfished at 16? Ew. Yeah, so she ended up going... Run away, Annie. She went on a date with him for about an hour. They went to get ice cream. And um, during this time, Daniel begins to ask her some really strange questions. Unfortunately, Annie and Jessica's mother had passed away earlier in the year of cancer. She had had a long battle, and she finally died. so, you know, she's grieving. She's not, you know, she's getting, she's getting through yeah. it. But um, Daniel had some interesting questions about her mom's passing and spent a good portion of the hour that they were together asking her about her mother's death and specifically whether or not she suffered. So that was really frustrating. So after about an hour, she figured out an excuse and she went home determined never to speak to him again. Yeah. She's like, ghosting, deuces. Don't ask Sayonara. Daniel. Did your mother suffer in her last moments? Daniel. Are you going to eat your coconut cream ice cream? 
like creepy boy creepy boy creepy boy no personal hygiene no manners no manners so she runs along home and she's determined she's never going to speak to him again that's what you think annie unfortunately <laughs> that is that is not the case so about a week later annie and her sister jessica decide that they are going to try and do a seance to speak to their recently departed mother oh yeah and i can't blame them because if i was 16 and my mother died that is exactly what i would do i cannot yeah. express how that is exactly what i would do any i am i am the one who is always like you have a ghost i'll talk to it yeah. i'm going to a friend's house on tuesday she's a ghost i said well i'll cleanse your house but first i'm gonna talk to it yeah this would be me It'd having be a seance doing your witchy nonsense my mother's never gonna die she's immortal so we're <laughs> never gonna have this issue she's never allowed never allowed to die because my mom is amazing. But um, her and her sister had really no success in the middle of, like, during their seance, like, the actual yeah. process. Um, it wasn't until a few hours later when they were trying to get a go to bed that they started hearing some knocking on the walls. Oh, no. Um, so they started communicating with this knocking, asking oh, it questions. No thinking that they're talking to their mother. This goes on for about, it's a few weeks, about two months. Guys, I think the name passed away. <laughs> I think it might be the boy. I had every intention of making this like really spooky, but <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I have not been sleeping well because of this case. Oh, no. And so I'm going to keep it as oh, no. real as possible so that other people can sleep. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Side note, I had a friend's day over at our house last night. Cameron stayed at our house. Oh. I went to bed before he got there. I just texted. I said, here's a door code. Come in. I get up to get some water. He comes around the corner and he's like, hello. <laughs> I uh, I fell over in the kitchen. He's like, are you OK? I'm like, you can't do that to me. I have a true crime podcast. You have no idea what I go through. We are constantly researching <laughs> terrible things. I said, I thought you were Daniel LaPlante. <laughs> in the walls. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. So, so, spoiler. It's not a ghost. So, and they thought it was for about two months until they just, it just kept going all hours of the day and the night. And it wasn't like they were just talking to it he anymore. never leave the walls? He just kept knocking. And they just thought, maybe it's a demon. Maybe it's something horrible. What have we done? This has been, they've been lying to us. It's not actually I our mom. take a sledgehammer to the wall. Well, you don't know. It's it's not, they didn't think it was a person. They thought <laughs> it was care. a ghost. I'd have to prove it to myself. <laughs> yeah. No, like, they... knock on that, mom. <laughs> there's no, there's no, there's no wall. wall anymore. What you knocking on now? <laughs> um, yeah. So she, they tried to go to their dad, and their dad was like, "I think that I think that you're just grieving a little weird." Because of course, nothing was happening to Brian. Yeah. Brian Andrews thought that, that his daughters were just grieving. Yeah. So then things got a little different. Items began disappearing and reappearing in different locations. Now, I've had this happen Which with ghosts. Which people report yes. with ghosts. Yeah. Um, specifically, utensils for me, they're just gone. They just go missing. Water bottles will just go missing or they'll reappear in a random place. But this happened. I understand why they thought this was a ghost. Yeah. Um, but again, nothing was happening with Brian. And then one day, they came home and their bedroom furniture had been moved around. Mom so, got strength. Yeah. 
mom was a weightlifter. <laughs> mom is doing spiritual deadlifts <laughs> in, the in the afterlife. And um, I think my first question would be, if I was these girls, is why is nothing happening? Wouldn't mom also haunt her husband? Who'd been with her through this battle of cancer and like, you'd think. Like, my husband is the number one person that I'm going to <laughs> when I die. Oh, my gosh. No, Nick I'm going to mess so... with him so You know what? So much. On record, I think your husband is also the number one person that I would haunt <laughs> if I was dead. <laughs> because watching him freak out would be hilarious. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't haunt Nicholas. He'd be so he'd be so sad. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. And he doesn't like ghosts. They freak him out. So I just feel like that yeah. would be so cruel. I'd have him. to go hard at my husband because he's quick to like try and dismiss it's not that he doesn't believe in ghosts, but he thinks he just moves on. A lot of stuff that happens that people attribute to a possible ghost is really just, you know, it can be debunked. Yeah. So he, they, he, he says that until it starts happening to him. He and believes, then he's so crazy. But like, I think it would take a lot for him to see. So I'd have to, like, I'm okay. going to have to ghost really hard. I think, when I, die. I think, I hope he does. He's going to listen to this, but he's going to know. But I'm just saying that one year on ha- one year on Halloween spooky time, <laughs> I am going to ghost Matthew him so hard. <laughs> I'm going to ghost right. him. I'm going to figure it out. Anyway, I'm sorry. That was a tangent. And then. So that day that they freaked out and their dad was like, y'all, there's nothing going on. There's your mom is not here. She's dead. How do you explain the furniture, dad? He thought they were doing it for attention. Oh. I mean, he was and he wasn't being rude by any account. He was just, you know, he thought he uh, he was a work. He worked a lot. Yeah. So he's a lawyer. He works a lot. And he thought they were just acting out for attention. Annie and Jessica started hearing a strange sound coming from their basement one day, and they decided they were going to go investigate. So that was a decision. They armed themselves with a kitchen knife and started walking down the stairs where they found a bloody message on the wall that read, I'm in your room. Come find me. I don't think it's mom. (laughs) (laughs) Where did mom get blood? <laughs> the only thing mom would write is like, clean up your room. <laughs> Empty the dishwasher. I see you. Quit texting it's that boy. <laughs> Stop doing that. They ran screaming from the house, so at least they didn't go back up into her bedroom. Yeah, really. They ran to their neighbor's house and they called their father. Brian Andrews came home. He saw that the words in the basement were actually written in ketchup, not blood. He then sent his daughters to counseling for their grief, thinking that they were really just acting out for attention this time, and he didn't really know what else to do. He tried to talk to them, so yeah, they went to grief counseling. Um, the noises began to die down for a little while, but then another message popped up in Annie's bedroom. This one read, I'm back. Find me if you can. They fled the house. They called the neighbors, and Brian came home. As Brian entered the house, he was greeted by the source of strangeness his daughters had been experiencing for the past month. Several months, excuse me. It was like three months at this point. So this is where the story gets a little bit tricky. Because the internet has really taken over with this. So I'm going to tell you what I think personally happened. And then I'm going to tell you the spooky story. And then we're going to get into why the two were so confusing to figure out later. Okay. 
So personally, what I think happened is that Brian entered the home and he noticed that there had been further disarray than he than his daughters claimed. And the neighbor who had apparently probably peeked into the windows and, and saw right. the furniture was everywhere. There was stuff all over the walls and things were missing. So he walked up into Annie's room alone and saw an additional message that had been painted on the wall that said, marry me. Then, How romantic, Daniel. <laughs> bro. <laughs> then on the other side of the room, Brian was greeted by an even more unnatural sight. A young boy dressed as a Native American with makeup on his face and a hatchet in his hand. And a wig, mind you. <laughs> Marry me. <laughs> I'm dressed as a Native American woman and I have a weapon. <laughs> Marry me. Oh, my. So the oh, marry Daniel. me, I don't know if that third message was there. It's very difficult. There were a lot of minors in this case. A lot of those records are sealed. It's a gotcha. little tricky. Gotcha. Um, the other story, which I don't know if it has truth to it or not. There's no record. Uh, there's no public record as to exactly the events that went down in the house when they found Daniel. Because the girls are minors and Daniel was a minor when he was arrested yeah. And he was actually arrested in his home county where they charged him as a minor originally. So all of those records are sealed and they weren't passed along. Right. But the other story that is told, especially on the interwebs, is that Annie was in her room one day, one night, one evening. She was vibing. She was reading a Seventeen magazine. That sounds right. I don't know what what <laughs> magazines were people reading in the eighties. It was nineteen eighty seven or eighty oh, six. Oh yeah. Ooh, it could have been uh um like there was a tiger something. Teen beat? Like there was Teen Beat and there was a tiger something or other. Okay. That always had like pictures of your heart of heart throbs that you could pull out and hang on your walls. She was vibing. She was vibing. She opened her closet and saw Daniel LaPlante dressed as her mother with a blonde wig and makeup, and some sources even say her wedding dress. Every source, however, says that he was wearing his mother's clothing. Her mother's clothing. Yes, her deceased mother's clothing. Daniel. That's My dude. That's fucked up. <laughs> what are you doing? So, yeah. She doesn't want to marry her dead mother. So then he her. apparently, and like I said, this is rumored, Ties her up, gets the rest of her family and dispatches them and ties them and kidnaps them in the be in Annie's bedroom while he ransacks the house. Annie then gets free, releases her family, and they either chase him out or he was already gone. This is unreal. This is like a movie. I know. Yeah. Crazy. So, and it's even crazier because I felt like a crazy person trying to piece it all together. Yeah. So, based off of what I think, though, it was just Brian alone. He wrestled him a little bit, but Daniel got free, and it was he was there, and then he was gone. It was so fast. So there was no sign of Daniel. Brian left to go be with his daughters and the neighbors. They called the police. When the police got there, they found no sign of Daniel, except there were lots of signs of Daniel. There was just no sign of, like, where he might be physically, but there was lots and lots of proof that he was there. In the basement near the washing machine, an officer noticed a small hole that had candy wrappers, soda, and beer cans, and they started looking. And all of a sudden, there were all these signs that they had missed that Brian, or that Daniel, I'm sorry, 
that Daniel LaPlante had been living in their walls for several months. They opened it up and realized that he had been creating tunnels with strategically placed peepholes to watch over Annie and Jessica while he tormented them into believing that they were communicating with their deceased mother. They found him and arrested him at 17 as a and charged him as a minor in his home county. Oh my gosh. Wouldn't you just rethink everything you've done over three months and just been like, he was there the whole time? Can you imagine how messed up that would make you yeah that happening like it's like people are traumatized from like finding out they were in a changing room someplace and somebody had people or camera mm-hmm. or restroom especially when you're and, 16 and you're you're going through all of your puberty and yeah. your body changing and you're like changing clothes in your bedroom and and to find out this is happening in my house yeah like i'm never gonna sleep again we have to move I have to watch them build the house. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I must check all. They, oh uh, by all reports, they go back and live in the same house. Uh, I don't think I could. Yeah. Um. So he's sent to juvie and he's charged with everything that he just did. But the charges are a little weird. And this is where it gets tricky as to what he was, excuse you, what he was actually charged with, what he was arrested for. And what the story was. Okay. Keep going. Okay. I'm listening. Okay. I have to turn off that ding. <laughs> but I'm sure everyone... Ding shame. Sorry. Everybody point at her and laugh. <laughs> um, so, she was... He was charged with from... And this is a culmination of sources. And I've just put all of them in one list. So that we can try and piece it together. Yeah. Four counts of kidnapping. Four counts of armed assault in a dwelling breaking and entering, larceny, and malicious destruction of property. Okay. What? So the kidnapping would only occur if he had detained them. Yeah. But there's like 90, like, it's so confusing because probably 70% of the sources say that Brian went in and found him and that he hadn't kidnapped them. Right. But the other, it's so bizarre. And then the, like. I found that with every case we've done. Or I've researched yeah. so far. Like, you find weird... Discrepancies. Discrepancies that... And it can be something so simple that you're like, no, that's fact. Mm-hmm. Like, somebody's birth date is fact. Exactly. It's public record. How are other sources, like, saying otherwise? And you have to sort out the mess. I don't know. And it's tricky. So, so, yeah, especially when records are sealed or... Oh, and don't even get me started. We're getting ready to get into those records, babes, because this is rough. This gets rough. I Listen, the police, by all accounts, did what they were supposed to do. Now, the judicial system kind of messed this one up. So, he was detained and sent to juvenile prison from January, around January. In October, the, the jurisdiction battle between the two courts... Want was finished. So he was okay. arrested and charged in his home county where he lived. The crime actually occurred in a different county. So his home county charged him as a juvenile and his crime county charged him as an adult. So when he was in juvie, he was in juvie from January to October before the jurisdiction battle was finished and he was moved. Okay. There was a psych evaluation done. And he obviously had a juvenile record. Spoiler. It's crazy. Spoiler Sorry. alert. 
I don't want I don't want to make light of mental health issues. I apologize. I should not do that, but it's okay. I this think is they crazy, know. crazy. I think they know. It's okay. <laughs> this is too much. Crazy. I think they know. I can yeah. vouch for how seriously Alicia takes mental health. It's yes. okay. Um they did nothing with his psychological evaluation. It was never they never got it. And there was definitely records missing from his juvenile record. Couldn't figure out exactly if they had never gotten any of it, if they had only gotten some of it. Weird. It was very bizarre. But clearly they didn't do any sort of digging into his psyche eval because they released him on a $100,000 bond to go back and live with his family until his court date in December. Yeah, we've had the, that conversation about bond. Oh, you know how I feel about bond, babes. Yeah. So we're going to take a break from that frustration because that pisses me off. I'm like, I can't. <laughs> I, I, can don't, I don't I understand <laughs> why this this guy's boy had just tormented yep. two teenage girls who still live there and you're releasing him. To his family that obviously doesn't know what the hell he's doing. He was living in their walls <laughs> for three months. Where, would, where did they and think even, Daniel was? Even before he's living in their walls, his mom didn't teach him to wash up. So, uh, okay, so let's get into his early life because that's where we're going to go to next. Because okay. obviously, this didn't come from a loving family. Nah. <laughs> nah. They never do. Mm, yeah, normally no. So, um, unfortunately, he was not loved. He was very much tortured by his family. And tortured is the word that the sources use. It was really, really, really bad. He was physically, mentally, and sexually abused by his father. Some sources stay by his stepfather as well, but I don't know for sure, especially given some of the later actions of his stepfather. And that's who he was released to. He was released to his mother and his stepfather, as well as his brother, Stephen. He was diagnosed with dyslexia when he was really young, and even from a very young age, his classmates thought he was very creepy. And that's the word they used. Yeah. They said creepy. Um, he showed signs of a personality disorder and was reluctant to do any sort of personal hygiene as he grew. And at this point, I'm assuming his mother had remarried. Yeah. So he was abused by all of the above, physically, mentally, sexually, by his father. And then his mother's remarried. He refuses to do any sort of personal hygiene and was showing signs of issues. So his mother sent him to a psychiatrist. Um, okay. Good he, to hear. She at least tried. Yeah. He was diagnosed with hyperactive disorder. And then the psychiatrist began sexually abusing him for oh the next year. Oh, my gosh. And he was a man. So that is two men who were supposed to care for Daniel in his life who then abused him sexually. Not great. I have no words. I, I – it's so difficult. I have no words because you know that at that point – He's probably never going to, even if his mom caught on and said, okay, I'm pulling you from here and let's go talk yeah. to somebody else. He's never going to talk. He's never going to no. trust another psychiatrist no. or psychologist. Um, yeah. So at this point in his life, he began burglarizing. Bur I hate this word. Burglarizing. Burglarizing. <laughs> <laughs> he was breaking in and stealing he crap. <laughs> breaking and entering. Um, he was breaking into people's homes, sometimes stealing things. But then he really began to realize how much he liked mind games. So he would just break into people's houses and, and move stuff or take random stuff that had no value just to watch them freak out. All relatively close to his home. Yeah. Well, yeah. He's got to sneak in and sneak out. Yeah. During the day, 
And this is where people think that he got the Anders phone number from. Because he said he got it from somebody at school. Nobody at school is talking to this dude. They've all said... You're creepy. You're creepy. And you don't smell very good. So <laughs> You don't. Did you... Oh, this was back in the 80s, too. I bet he was a kid that ate the paste. So, (laughs) so, yeah. So, in case, well, it's been a few episodes since we've mentioned our age difference. But in my generation, growing up in the 80s, we did not just have Elmer's school glue. We had Elmer's school paste. He ate that paste. it was thick. It was in a jar. And according to all the weird kids, it tasted really good. Interesting. I bet he did eat the paste. I bet he ate the paste. Yes. Do you hear that? That was me. Oh. I'm sorry. I thought it was a I'm dog. Sorry. I Well, no, I shut them out pretty oh, good. Okay. So I think Sorry, we have to banish the dogs from the studio. We have to banish the, the dogs. They'll be loud yeah. or, Barking. you know, get in Anyway. Um, yes. So like she said, we have a pretty, we have an age difference. Yes. I love it. It makes life so much more interesting. I teach you all the things, all the 80s things. And I teach you slang. So here we are. (laughs) (laughs) You keep me young. I do. So that's where they think he got his phone number from was from a burglary somewhere. Maybe they saw his phone number. I don't know. Who knows? All right. So obviously he was released in October, much to my chagrin (laughs) or my dismay, not my chagrin. I'm not happy the other way around. Other way. I'm really tired. (laughs) I've messed up several times. We're going to ignore them all. It's okay. That makes life more exciting. Yeah. He immediately starts burglarizing other homes. I did it that time. Good job. Uh, He did this to many homes between October and December when his trial date was. So I am going to just give you some highlight reels. For example, on October 14th, very soon after. (gasps) Oh. Well, okay, moving on. (laughs) No one cares. (laughs) Moving on. He was breaking into the home of Raymond Pindle and his family. He stole two Ruger 22 caliber guns with their holsters and a sizable amount of cash. Three weeks later, the defendant's stepfather, I'm sorry, can you tell I was reading the court documents? (laughs) Daniel's stepfather found one of the guns and the holster in his laundry basket. He told them that he obtained it the year prior when they were questioning him about it. And then November 16th, between 11 a.m. and 3.30 p.m., because he's doing this during the day. Aren't you supposed to be in school, Daniel? Nope. Someone broke into the, I meant to Google how to for sure say this, because I've heard different people say it. Gustafsson? 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 Gustafsson. I think that might be it. Gustafsson. He broke into the Gustafsson's family home. He stole their cordless phone a cable box, maybe two cable boxes, kind of up for grabs, and a bunch of other random technology and crap. He put the cable box and the phone in his brother's tool cabinet. He told him it was to prevent the parents from seeing them. Um, He stole some Liberty coins, some collectible coins, and Stephen also saw him with those coins a few weeks later. So Stephen, the brother, sees that he's stealing stuff. They don't know for sure that he's stealing it, but they should know at this point that something's a little off. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, that he's lying to them about it, and they're, I mean, who knows, man. Tell you what. There's a whole lot of cases. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
seems to be a whole lot of cases that seem like they could have been prevented or stopped at least earlier yeah. on <clears throat> if people would stop believing the lies. The lies. <laughs> They're lying. It is a farce. If you know what movie that's from, it's from The Village. Bryce Dallas Howard. She goes, it is a farce. It's that's why I like that word so much. So then a little few weeks later, Brian asks his brother Steven and their friend Mike Pulaski. Pul- Pulaski? Yeah, I need to restart my system here. <laughs> Pulaski. Pulaski. For a bunch of 22 caliber bullets and told them that he wanted to make them into a giant bullet and sell it. So, a you know. giant bullet. I don't know how bullets work, but don't think it's like that. Don't you need a giant gun to shoot? <laughs> no, he was going to sell the giant bullet. Well, I know, but... He doesn't have to have... What good is a giant bullet? He's going to sell it to someone with a giant gun. (laughs) (laughs) This is... I don't know. (laughs) I don't think you're... I don't think he's thinking this plan through. Well, Mike bought it. (laughs) And he gave him a bunch of twenty-two caliber bullets from a case that he had. And he gave the other half of the case to another friend. Okay. So then... Mike. Yes. Unfortunately, on December 1st, 1987, um, Daniel breaks back into the Gustafsons' home since he had previously stolen from them. It's during the day. Priscilla is at home. She's a preschool nursing or preschool teacher, nursing room teacher. She was also pregnant. He pins her down and rapes her before pushing a pillow over her head and smothering her before shooting her twice. All while her five-year-old son, Billy, was in the room. Oh, no. He then took Billy downstairs to the downstairs bathroom and drowned him. While he waited on their seven-year-old, Abigail, to get home from school, he opened a beer from their fridge. And then when she did get there, he took her to the upstairs bathroom and drowned her as well. And then he he went home and he went to a family birthday party. His niece turned six that day. I have no words. So it's just really disturbing. Yeah. And it, it is such an escalation as well. Yeah. I mean, who knows if maybe gone unchecked, he might have killed the Andrews family. But it's it's just bizarre. And if they hadn't released him on bond, he would not have killed three people. Again, I don't like the bond. I get really frustrated because it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Andy Gustafson was a lawyer. As well, ironically, he works for a very large firm and he had just had an amazing deal go through with a real estate deal that he was working on. He had tried to call his wife, but then decided he was just going to go home when she didn't answer to celebrate. Surprise. He walks in and he's confused by the silence in the home. They have two young kids. It's really weird that it's quiet. He walks all the way upstairs and finds his wife covered in blood, dead in their bed. He immediately runs out because he just knew in his heart that his two children were dead and he did not want to see them. He didn't want to go find them. And I'm so glad that he did not. Yeah. Because it really just saved him a lot of imagery, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. So moment of silence for that because I really don't have words. It's... Yeah, I have I no think, commentary. I think that I've been researching out. this so heavily over the last, like, four days that I hadn't really processed how horrible that was until just now. Yeah. <laughs> because Daniel only lived about a half a mile away. hmm So. 
And I think the only reason that I'm processing it the way that I am is because my next case also involves children. Oh, and it's no. horrific. Oh, kid cases are so hard. Yeah. Detectives then become, you know, they start coming up with a list of possible suspects in this family massacre. Unsurprisingly, given his previous crimes to the against the Andrew family and the fact that he had just been released from the juvenile detention facility a few months ago, and there were all these burglaries happening, and he was kind of known for that, Daniel LePant made the list. They went to the library where he was studying and asked him where he was the day before. He said that he had been wearing gray sweatpants and sitting at home watching TV all day until he went to his niece's birthday party at six, or whatever time it was. She had just turned yeah. six. They started doing some looking around the home. And the following day, on December 2nd, the police questioned Daniel and... Oh, no, I apologize. They questioned him on December 2nd, the second day. And then later that day, he went to the LaPlante home to question him further. As they approached the home, Daniel was standing on the porch and he turned, jumped off the porch and ran into the woods, thus launching a massive, massive manhunt. It included 50 officers, a police helicopter, police dogs, detectives, the whole nine yards. They were going to find him and he was going to jail. Because clearly he had something to hide. They used some cadaver dogs, not cadaver dogs, just search dogs, at mm-hmm. the Gustafsons' home where he immediately picked up a scent of Daniel, followed it all the way from Daniel's house to the Gustafson home and back. So they had found a trail. They searched this trail and found a pair of wet gloves, the clothes that they knew belonged to Daniel, and a bunch of other incriminating things. While on the run, Daniel was not particularly careful about staying under the radar. He abducted a woman at gunpoint, making her drive him all the way around town in her Volkswagen van. Luckily, the woman jumped out of the car, fleed on foot. She went to the police and reported her and said that Daniel LaPlante was now driving her Volkswagen van. Which is, well, I mean, it was a little less conspicuous back then, but even mm-hmm. in the 80s. Exactly. They weren't super popular at that point. Mm-hmm. So there were several other incidents and other sightings of Daniel by the public. The police found him around 6.30 on December 3rd, hiding in a dumpster at a lumberyard in Ayer, Massachusetts, about 11 miles south of Townsend, where the murders occurred. Daniel was arrested without incident, but he's said to have been laughing hysterically while officers found, which officers found bewildering. I'm reading that as a direct quote because I found it in an article and it, I could not. He was just How laughing. Reword that. I, they said it. I mean, that's they said it. What, yeah. They searched him and found that he had a gun stuffed in his underwear. That seems real <laughs> safe for the family jewels there, Daniel. Well, the rest of us would be okay. Yeah. We feel more at peace. <laughs> yep. So he was charged with the murders of Priscilla Abigail and William Gustafson. He received a range of charges, especially they added on everything they could for the crimes he committed while he was on the run. Yeah. So let's get into the trial and the charges a little bit because there's a lot of physical evidence that links him to the murders, clearly, based off of the dogs and, you know, this, that, and the other. They received a warrant pretty quickly and they went into his house and found several things that belonged to the Gustafsons. And they also saw more wet clothing and the sweatpants that he said he was wearing the day before, et cetera, et cetera. They also used blood analysis um, to determine what kind of secretor he was. Have you done research on this before? I have not. So there are different kinds of um, 
bodily fluid secretors. Everybody's a different I hate type. That word. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so he's a type A secretor, and they were able to use the semen that he left on the bedspread after raping Priscilla to match it to a blood sample of his that he was also a type A secretor. You should really look into it. It's fascinating. I don't feel qualified to talk about it right now. I will look into it, um, even though I hate that word. Secretor. <laughs> so, what ugh. type of secretor are you? <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> dating app, dating app, but it's based on the type of secretor you are. <laughs> Ew. <Ew. laughs> um, they also found different fibers that linked him to different aspects of the crime scene. They found this everywhere. There's like five different accounts of it matching in different places <laughs> between his shirt and the fibers tracks. of the bed and then his gloves and the fibers of the bed. It was everywhere. And the, the pair of gloves that they found during the manhunt also had gunshot residue of the second gun that he stole from the Raymond household. Also, yeah. if you hadn't picked that up, I apologize. I didn't say that. He used one of the guns from Raymond Pindle's house yeah. that he stole and the 22 caliber bullets that Michael Pawalski, Pawalski gave him to kill <laughs> his family. Really I'm sorry. I it's, <laughs> it's just I'm it's sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. I can't. It's okay. I told he probably you. doesn't really want his name out there anyway. He was listen, we're getting to him. Oh boy. Um they his brother, Steven, found the gun that the so the the second gun was the one that was in his underwear. The one that he used to shoot Priscilla was found in the like a beater car they had on their property, and Stephen found it in the glove compartment of that Jeep Cherokee, and turned it in. Ballistics proved that that was the gun that he used. So he had stashed it before he started running and taken the second one with him on his run. Um, yeah. So he was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences at seventeen years old in the state of Massachusetts. Good. Good. You know what comes next. Appeals. Appeals. Now, when he appealed, he was an adult. So I could find all of this fun stuff, which yes. actually led to a lot more information about the trial. So honestly, most of the stuff I know about the physical evidence they had comes from his appeal, the judge's opinion of the appeal. Also, sorry to the woman I was sitting next to on my plane yesterday as I was writing graphic notes about semen. <laughs> <laughs> Did you lean over and go, what kind of semen are you? <laughs> I should have. Um, but no, I could tell she was looking at me funny. She was definitely reading over my shoulder. Uh, you know, <laughs> sorry about that. Shouldn't have been on a different flight from Atlanta. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, his appeal was interesting. It was mostly garbage, but it was interesting. I always think it's fun what they try yeah. and argue. And he had some different options. So he tried to use the fruit of poisonous tree doc doctrine. Do you remember this from school? Vaguely, yes. So if I'm remembering correctly, it is essentially um, boiling this down a lot. If they get evidence in a negative way or an illegal way, then that is fruit from a poisonous tree. tree. You can't use it, throw yep. it out. So he argued a motion to suppress evidence found during the allegedly unlawful carrying out of the warrant that they received. He said that the warrant said that they were a single family home and it was a multifamily home and therefore they did not know what belonged to him and what belonged to other people and the warrant was incorrect and he needed to throw everything out. The judge said, no. no. The police Me. officers had done everything they could to write that warrant out to the best of their abilities. There was one gas line, one garbage can, one mailbox, one everything. There was yeah. literally nothing about this home that indicated more than one family lived there. That's how my home is. Yeah, exactly. So, and you you have a two-family home. 
You have a family and a best friend home. (laughs) A family and a best friend home. So, you know, they were basically like, nice try, but no. But I I did think that was interesting. That was a long shot that they tried. Yeah. I Um, mean, you've got to. Like I said, some of these poor defense. I'm like the only person in the world that would say poor defense attorneys. (laughs) Yeah. But. No, I think you might. I don't agree. I could never. I, I could never. I know. But it's like our legal intern at work says, her her reasoning for wanting to be a defense attorney is, I believe, how most people at least start out. Like, they have genuinely good yeah. uh, reason for becoming a defense attorney, just believing that, you know, in the legal system and and that everybody deserves a fair trial. Yep. Go so, watch The Staircase. <laughs> the only reason I say poor defense attorneys is that they oftentimes are handed a flaming pile of poo. Yeah. <laughs> to try and, and come I will up say, with he something. did he did come up with some interesting stuff. It wasn't general. It wasn't the normal like yeah. retrial stuff. Um so then going back to Mike Polowski. 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 Spelled Polo Wooski, Poloski. Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. More proof that I should have Googled pronunciations before I sat down. Um, You know who you are, Mike. (laughs) Yeah, Mike. I I, have written your name out a million times. Never once said it out loud until today. There we go. Um, They brought him back up. Not really sure why. The only thing I can come up with is that they're basically claiming that they they are arguing his proof of an alibi. And I'm saying, I'm thinking that they're saying that proof that his alibi was wrong would be proof of reasonable doubt. And so they would need a retrial. Right. It's the only thing I can come up with. Basically, Mike had an alibi. He was at work when the crimes were committed because it was committed during the day. <laughs> he had a job. He worked in construction. He was laying a foundation at the time. Yeah. Um, the reason they were arguing, though, was because they provided during the original trial, they provided his timestamp and his time card. That said he was at work. However, the judge asked the company for an invoice for the job he was on because he could have been working, but where was he working? You know, where yeah. was he? What was he doing? I mean, you could clock in and then leave. Yeah, exactly. And come back. Exactly. It's not like that's- so the company was a really well-known construction company, and they actually didn't have record of the invoice. But there, everybody said, "No, no, no, we did it. We did it. I promise, we did it." Everyone was claiming this was our job. Both parties that were involved in this contract said this was it. But there was no invoice record. For some reason, it had just gotten lost. And the judge says, well, you're a really reliable company. Presumable reliability is a thing in the the law field. And that's what he was citing. He was citing presumable reliability that we can presume this person is is reliable because of their history. So he accepted it. And he said, "Okay, you've been dismissed. You have an alibi. You were at work. Um, So that's what they were arguing. And the judge was like, no. And he cited several different sources where presumable reliability was used. And like I said, everybody said that he was at work and his supervisor even said it was overtime and I had to I had to approve it. Yeah. So, you know. Um, sorry, Daniel. Sorry, Daniel. No wall living for you, except if you're living in cinder block because they're in a jail. Yeah. And uh, like normally, like every appeal, there's like 17 different points. I only am going to yeah. list three because the rest of them were so incredibly stupid. It's not worth it. But. The third one, which I actually thought was kind of interesting, was that the judge failed to instruct the jury on criminal responsibility or the insanity defense. Ooh. So he didn't tell them. 
anything about this because I don't know why. And they were like, hey, if you had instructed them on what that looks like in the law field, we might have had a different outcome. Yeah. So I'm going to pop over to my notes. Give me just a moment because I did think that the way that he wrote this was interesting and I have to find it. Hold on. Because this was also, can I just say this judge's opinion was the most unorganized thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh boy. Everything was in weird orders. I had to like copy and paste and move stuff around for it to be in the same like it was stupid. Yeah. I felt like I had a professor like that. Yeah. Kind of seemingly absent-minded, but she's genius at the same time. Yeah. So, he the defendant, Daniel, states that the, quote, bizarre nature of these killings together with the the events following their commission were s- sufficient enough to create a reasonable doubt as to the defendant's criminal responsibility. He was trying to say, the fact that I committed these crimes at all should tell you there's air- there's room here for me to be listed as insane. Yeah. He said that, yeah, he said that this required instruction to be given to the jury. However, the appeal group basically just said we do not agree the defendant relies on the case in which we said the very facts of a crime themselves might be some evidence to the existence of legal insanity which was commonwealth versus madison in 1979 um however they then go on to cite like nine different cases in which similar things happened and they were like they didn't have to instruct because Taking a leap, even a liberal approach to the submission of the insanity issue to the jury, there was simply no triggering evidence in this case sufficient to require such instruction. The defendant has not pointed to, nor can we find, any case where the inexplicableness of a crime alone raises a jury issue of insanity. So he's saying, they're saying, I don't know what cases he's citing because that's not what those yeah. say. That's like, he's just, they're basically saying, what the cases you're citing, that's not what happened. Yeah. You lie. Not true. Sorry. Not going to fool me. Yeah. He said that the heinous crimes, that the crimes were heinous would not alone support any conclusion that they were product, the product of an insane mind. So it also, to me, it seems like an escalation, but like he was already doing crimes and stalking and tormenting and, people. Yeah. Look at BTK. He would stalk people and then he would kill people. He stalked yeah. people and then killed an entire family. Like this isn't a bizarre situation. Yeah. So. You know, and again, it always comes back to what we want to consider insane mm-hmm. versus the legal versus definition. The legal definition, exactly. Of insane. And there was no reason for him him to be listed as legally insane ever. I think that that's just human nature. We want to th- we want to believe that, like, oh, if somebody's you know, somebody must be like completely yeah. out of their mind. But unfortunately, these personality disorders just they know right from wrong. Yes. Like on the soul case. Yes. He knew what he was doing was wrong. Mm-hmm. He was apologizing to people as he's doing this. Mm-hmm. That's all that matters. <laughs> yeah. Are they sane enough to understand that what they're doing is wrong? Exactly. And the m- vast majority of people are. There's yeah. very few people that have lost their minds so far, have such psychosis mm-hmm. that they don't know what they're doing or they don't understand mm-hmm. why it's wrong. The few cases that I've researched where defense attorneys said 
no, I will not argue a defense, an insanity defense for you are the better defense attorneys because they yeah. know how hard it is to prove that. Yeah. They truly understand it. Absolutely. I agree. You know, I mean, mental health is one thing, but like knowing that that's that's the thing, you know, I don't know. You explained it. I, I don't know. I feel like I didn't explain that very well, but I hope you understood what I meant. I did. Okay, cool. The other thing was I just want to reiterate that everything was happening within like a mile of his home. Yeah. The Pindle house was less than a quarter mile from his home. The Gustafsons home was less than half a mile away from their home. The Andrews family was really close. It was a different county, but still super close. County neighbor. Mm-hmm. So I have two more little sections here to go over. Okay. Um, one, he is the main perpetrator of a appeal to the court system claiming that <laughs> their freedom of religion is not being honored in the jail that they're in because they will not allow them certain things for Wiccan rituals. So, let's get into this a little bit. <laughs> there is a known heavy presence of Wiccans within this court or within this jail. I'm not sure where he is. Hold on. The U.S. District Court. MCI Norfolk Jail. That's where he's currently serving. And... um. They're basically claiming that we need all this stuff to practice. And then people I'm not gonna let you burn down the jail. No. He wanted <laughs> different oils and a carrot cake. And <laughs> what? I don't know. I, I think he know. just threw that in for good measure. I used to work at a metaphysical shop. Yes. I don't know why you need a carrot cake. <laughs> what is a carrot cake? I don't do? know why you need a carrot cake. Um he listed like 30 different oils and things that they would need to practice, including dragon's blood, black opium, and honeysuckle. He also said that they should be allowed to be outside during various cycles of the moon that are recognized by Wiccans. And then they talked to many different experts of the field who all said, no, not really. <laughs> um, he wanted to have more than a dozen, dozen robes and medallions of different things to be provided to them and they said no no don't really need that this was his reasoning on the carrot cake <laughs> i i was gonna i would not sleep tonight no i know no i know why he wanted the carrot cake i don't know what in the world made him think that he was going to get a carrot cake like i don't understand <laughs> i really don't like like i said i don't know in what circumstance you would ever need a carrot cake but he says that the cakes are used during certain Wiccan sermons, which is not a phrase I've ever heard before, to use to excite the senses, quote. But the, the, the cake that, that is served, they are provided a cake for these. They are already given a cake, but it's not the right cake. But it's not a cake. He said the, the cake that they're served by the DOC is, quote, always the same, and it creates a somber environment during worship. <laughs> he requested a different cake each month, including a carrot cake. Okay, so it the request was actually, can we change up the cake, guys? But, like, specifically only named a carrot cake. But I really, it's just his favorite. Yeah, exactly. Why can't, why can't the <laughs> also, man get his Also, psychopath for your favorite cake being a carrot cake. <laughs> Calling you out. I don't trust you. I mean, I, it depends on the carrot cake. But no, definitely not my favorite why cake. Why is there a carrot in my cake? No, no, cakes are sweet. Carrot, I mean, no. Carrots are a sweet not, vegetable. It's, but they're a vegetable. Why is it in my cake? 
I don't know. You know how I feel about in between how things. How do you feel? <laughs> That's true. I don't that like is. this. So you hate zucchini bread too. I don't eat bread, first of all. Oh, yeah, that's true. Second. Well, sweet breads are almost cake-like. And see, that's where I get annoyed. Because, like, cinnamon <laughs> buns, I want to like it so bad, but I can't. It's bread. I have OCD, and so part of that for me is, like, I don't like in-between foods. So carrot cake, not happening. Is it? Is it? Is it a vegetable or is it cake? It's both, and I don't like it. What is, what is soup? Is it food or is it a drink? I can't do it. I'm sorry. So now you kind of know why this is an argument. <laughs> Not an argument, but I feel very argument. passionately. I just love to bring it up because it's hilarious <laughs> hearing. I love My it. reasonings for things. I mean, I feel sad for you that you miss out on very tasty foods. That's okay. I'm not pressed. I know. I'm not concerned. I know. I know what I like and what I don't like. Yeah. Um, Vaughn Thompson, who's a practicing pagan in the Boston area, said that LaPlante doesn't need any of these items to be an active member of the Wiccan community. I'm reading this from Boston Magazine, which is a local subscription. He says, quote, we get so much misinformation about our religion and our practices that even a hint of anything out of the ordinary associated with Wicca gets blown out of proportion. It's difficult to be Wiccan or pagan. Not only is our religion misunderstood, those misunderstandings also attract more of our more than our fair share of crazy people. So that's how pagans and Wiccans feel about Daniel LaPlante. So he goes on to say, the funny thing is, I think if this man were on the outside, he would be very disappointed in most pagan circles. We have one, maybe two pieces of ritual jewelry among the group. And most of those aren't even recognizable as Wiccan symbols. Most of the time we wear street clothes. We serve gluten-free cookies and organic apple juice for things like our cake and ale, quote unquote. We're just not that exciting. So, you know. Not everybody can afford to have 12 capes, cloaks. 12 cloaks, robes, robes whatever. <laughs> whatever. Whatever yeah, it is you're going to I'm just going to say, Daniel, you acting a fool. So, recently, Daniel Plate was in the news because the Supreme Court in Massachusetts decided that there was going to have to be different sentencing for people who were sentenced as minors um, because... The, their reasoning was that because their brains hadn't fully developed, they could be more easily rehabilitated. So they okay. wanted to resentence people who had been sentenced as minors. So he had a new a hearing, basically. I'm not sure if it was a complete full trial or if it was a hearing based on his sentencing. Yeah. And they haven't resentenced him yet, as far as I could tell. So that but was interesting. How, but he was... He was 17 when he was He was sentenced. 17, and this was in the 80, mm-hmm. late 80s. Mm-hmm. So if he was going to need to be re- rehabilitated, it probably needed to take place like, yeah. you know, before now. So we'll see. I don't know how they're going to end up doing it. But experts are saying that there, there probably isn't going to be any sort of change in his sentencing. Yeah. Um, he's arguing that he shouldn't have to conserve consecutive, shouldn't have to serve consecutive life sentences. So he's thinking that he can just at this point, by that term, he would be out by now. He could leave if they aren't consecutive. Which is weird. I've never understood that. I don't, yeah. Because three consecutive life sentences means that he can't have parole. So if he serves three non-consecutive life sentences, he would have been eligible for parole and he would be free to go, essentially. Um, But his family got to speak at this hearing and he did not look at them when he apologized. He looked at the judge. Um, Also, during his original trial, there's like pictures of him smirking and I really hate him. It's that personality disorder. It really is. Um, But I did want to kind of touch on a happier note. Unfortunately, Andy Gustafson has passed away. 
he had cancer but he did live a pretty happy life after his i mean it wasn't happy you know after his family died worse but after you grieve yeah exactly but he did he did remarry and he found love with another widow who he went to church with and she actually spoke at the hearing so andy gustafson was known for wearing two wedding bands at all times one for his current wife and one for his deceased wife and his wife did the same they both wore two sets of wedding bands see like i say all the time Mm-hmm. I I always wonder how people mm-hmm. who are widowed remarry, but unless you find another widow, mm-hmm. because then you have you understand exactly. nobody's going to have hurt feelings over the fact that like exactly I still love my first spouse. Mm-hmm. It's just they were taken from me, and I have love for you too. Mm-hmm. But it honestly, it made me cry. They were very happy sweet. together. They tried really hard. Um, I'm not sure if they ended up adopting. They wanted to adopt and create a family that they had both felt like they lost. Yeah. Um, that Andy felt like he lost more yeah. specifically. I don't remember or know off the top of my head if they did ever get to do this. But either way, yeah. she spoke at his hearing, at Daniel's hearing. She spoke to his grief and to the fact that it weighed on him so heavily what he'd done and that these crimes would not be forgiven, essentially. Yeah. Then Priscilla's sister and Priscilla's brother spoke. Her sister is very angry, as she should be, and she will not see that he will ever be out of prison. She will not rest. I'm telling you, this woman is relentless, and she should be, and I love her. Yeah. Um, her brother is a minister and he, or a pastor, and he spoke, and he said that he forgives Daniel, but forgiveness is a spiritual thing. Exactly. And that while he can forgive him, it does not mean that the slate is wiped clean and that he should be walking free. Um, He says that it's their responsibility as the family to make sure that he, that the people of Massachusetts are safe from Daniel Plant and that he stays in prison. Also, he's bald now. So Daniel Plant is bald. That's what happens. That's what happens when you lie about being a blonde. Yeah. You lose your hair. Football player. Yeah. You lose your hair. Mm -hmm. So. Sometimes you lose your hair when you are a blonde hunky football, football player. player but those guys usually turn out hot so it's fine he didn't bald well he bald poorly i don't know i'm trying man <laughs> i don't know where all the hunky i don't know i was never into football players so. <laughs> i don't know i don't know where they are now all those football players i went to school with don't know don't know either so never cared for them well that was a very good spooky story it, I really wanted to make it spookier, but honestly, I don't want people to not sleep. Yeah. No. Maybe that. maybe we'll do a retelling in October <laughs> and yeah. just be like, ooh, there was knocking on the walls. <laughs> he was dressed in her wedding dress and holding a hatchet. Ah. <laughs> Boom. So, yeah. Daniel Plant, you've kept me up for three nights. I'm happy to uh, put you to rest. Bye, Daniel. Bye, Daniel. Thanks for joining me. Yes. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Yes. All right. Have a good day. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.